the dairy industry saw a real uh, disturbance in the supply chain uh, back at the start of the pandemic. You'd turn on the news and you'd see one, one article about how farmers are frustrated because they have to dump milk. And then you go to the dairy case in the grocery store with your mask on and there's, there's no milk in the, in the dairy case. Hi there, thanks for tuning in uh, to Future Foodcast, where thought leaders in today's food industry discuss the trends and technology that will shape the future of food. Today, we are speaking with Alex Walsh from Northeast Dairy Food Association. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, being here and uh, you know providing your valuable feedbacks. So Alex, um, you know, it's, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, would you mind sharing with our guest what do you do at Northeast Dairy Food Association? You know, it could be like your job title and any, any other information or context that you think might be relevant to our listeners. Absolutely. So uh, I'm the Associate Vice President for Regulatory Affairs for Northeast Dairy Foods Association. I handle all of our government relations and all of our lobbying uh, aspects and components for the association. Um, I also oversee all the communications for the association as well. Uh, Northeast Dairy Foods Association is a regional association. Uh, it's a, a trade group uh, for the industry. Uh, we represent dairy processors, manufacturers, distributors, and suppliers in the Northeast United States. Our territory encompasses all of New York, New Jersey, and all the six New England states. Um, so uh, a lot of People, when I tell them I work for Northeast Dairy Foods, uh, assume I'm out there milking cows, and that's that's not what I do whatsoever. Uh, we represent companies uh, that process milk, that turn that milk into ice cream, butter, yogurt, uh, other cultured products, uh, cheese, and all the other manufacturers uh, for dairy products that you see on the shelves. Um, we also represent distributors. And as well as uh, we have a, a suppliers association as well that we oversee. And those companies include everybody and anybody that uh, provides goods, services to the dairy foods industry. And they include um, financial advisors, insurance companies, packaging uh, equipment, uh, you name it. They can all be part of our uh, suppliers association. Uh, we have about 200 uh, members in the Northeast United States uh, that are members of the suppliers association. And we have about 70 or so members in the Dairy Foods Association. So one of the things, uh, you know, when I see, you know, your role as a regu regulatory affair, is that also like, is that also called like government affair, wherein basically you, you know, represent all these associations and, you know, represent it in the, in the with the government, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, my job more focuses on, on the government relations side. Uh, that's pretty much the sole purpose of our trade association. Uh, while we do have other uh, benefits of being a member of the association, whether it's cost savings programs or networking events, um, you know, contact information for other companies, uh, we, we provide a lot of other member benefits for if you're a member. But uh, really, our number one priority for the association is, is lobbying and government relations. So uh, my job is to focus on <clears throat> monitoring issues, uh, pending bills, legislation, things like that. They come up in um, mostly at the state level, uh, but we do, uh, do monitor uh, regional and uh, national issues as well. So 
Um, you know, my job is to focus on monitoring those issues and then reaching out to the appropriate legislators or government agencies, whether that's USDA or Ag and Markets for a state or, um, uh, you know, labor departments, you name it, you know, we're, we, we kind of serve as the liaison from, for our members to, to the government. I imagine that your role as a leader in regulatory affairs, uh, you follow news about the food industry, tech and trends. Uh, which, te- which trend is one of the most interest to you and why? Uh, so one of the, the, the top issues that have, has really surfaced over the past you know, year, maybe a little bit longer, uh, maybe two years or so has been um, the extended producer responsibility, recycling content. And, and when um, you know, our trade association was first formed almost 100 years ago, back in the 1920s actually, uh, really the, the government relations probably focused more on um, the pricing of milk, um, you know, uh, some of the issues that manufacturers or processors were facing as far as uh, obtaining milk dealer licensing, things like that. Since then, our association has grown and so has the industry. And we've seen that our we need to focus, have a broader focus on not just <clears throat> milk and dairy, but we've you know, expanded that to agriculture. We've expanded that to the general business uh, climate as well. And uh, one, one thing that's really come up, like I said, has been this extended producer responsibility uh, and some of the recycling content uh, that's been happening in, in several states throughout the Northeast, but a- across the country as well. Um, you know, uh, some legislators or some states are, you know, leaning towards um, shifting some of that responsibility off of government and onto business. And uh, from our standpoint, you know, we understand where they're coming from, but we need a little give and take on it. Uh, there's a lot of issues revolving around that topic. There's a lot of obstacles and hurdles to overcome before there's really um, uh, a system in place that we feel comfortable with. Uh, but frankly, you know, the infrastructure just isn't there um, nationally, even or even at the state level, to to take on this issue right now. But it's good that states are looking into it, and, that, and from our standpoint, the industry sees that this is the direction that a lot of governments are are heading, um, and that's a it's a major trend I think that we'll see across the United States in the next few years. So the next question I think is also pretty much going to build up on that uh, is, you know, which is one of the biggest challenges you see, you know, maybe in your company or, or the industry that you work in, uh, you know, what's the challenge you believe is, is kind of you're facing today and how do you think this will evolve or change in the future? Um, yeah, it, it's, that's, that's a, that's a big question. And uh, it's, you know, certainly something I think about probably every night before I go to sleep is, uh, you know, what, what are the big issues that we are facing as an industry? And, um, and like I said, they go beyond, you know, obtaining milk and uh, the pricing of milk. Uh, just the general business climate, I think, is, is really been the biggest challenge for our industry. You take a look at a state like New York. Uh, it's very diverse. It's very large. Um, you compare it to a state like Connecticut or Rhode Island that's a lot smaller in population and a lot smaller geographically. They have different different views and different uh, obstacles and challenges that they're facing. But with New York, um, you have uh, you know the North Country that borders Canada, 
uh, very rural parts of the state um, where even broadband access is, is difficult in obtaining. And then you have the city of, city of New York, you know, the largest metropolitan area in the world. And uh, it's, so it's such a diverse state, but, uh, and that all translates into to the, just the general business climate of New York. And uh, our association is faced with fighting some of these um, initiatives that have been coming down from Albany that have really, uh, really are not in the best business context. And they, they're gonna impact food processors, food manufacturers, they're gonna Im uh, impact retailers, your grocery stores, they're gonna imp impact consumers, they're, and they're also gonna impact the farming side of uh, the house. So um, we, we really try to focus on making New York and all the other states um, a much more business-friendly climate. And it's, it's a very big challenge. Um, but, you know, we certainly give it our all every day to, to fight for our members and, and make sure we're, we're on the front lines looking out for their best interests. Great. Um, one other thing. So I think you've, uh, you, you mentioned uh, that you mostly operate from New York, uh, but what other locations are your uh, farms, what do you call it, right, are, are the locations where you, you conduct the business? Yeah, so our members, are, which are processors, manufacturers, um, they have um, plant operations in uh, New York, New Jersey, uh, and all the New England states. So you got Maine, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire, and I think that's it. But so we're in eight states all in total. Uh, so the six New England states, New York, and New Jersey. Uh, we do actually have a couple members that have operations in Pennsylvania, um, and we also have members that have. Uh, Know, plants that may be located in New York or throughout the Northeast, but also trickle down into some of the mid-Atlantic states, uh, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia area. Interesting. Uh, so that's interesting. So, uh, you know, let, let's talk about a little bit about, you know, your work in the food industry. Uh, now let's put your uh, consumer hat on and as, as a food consumer, what is, what is important to you and when, when it comes to the food you eat? Yeah, so I, I didn't grow up in the dairy industry and I never, you know, growing up or even in college or starting my career, never envisioned myself working in the dairy industry. And, and here I am, I've been with Northeast Dairy Foods for a few years now, but um, it's, it's really uh, made me take a harder look at uh, food and where it's, where it's made or how it's made and the different brands and the different pricing and, and things like that. So when I go to a grocery store, you know, my wife's always kind of dragging me away from the dairy case because I'm always sitting there looking at all the different milks or the cheese, yogurt, things like that. But uh, it's, it's uh, been interesting because now I really sit and compare and, and, and look at some of the different companies that are out there, different products that are out there. Uh, you know, milk isn't just milk anymore. I mean, there's different kinds of milk. There's lactose-free milk. There's, you know, you... It used to be just whole skim, one, two percent. Now there's A1 milk, A2 milk, uh, lactose-free milk. And then you have, you know, like I'm sure we'll get into later, but some of the um, competing beverages that uh, are against milk that we're, we're uh, uh, competing against, such as, you know, uh, almond beverages or coconut beverages, juices, uh, in addition to the sodas and the uh, sports drinks and other soft drinks that you see. So... 
as a consumer, I'm, I'm, I'm much more aware of what's going on in the food industry and what's impacting retailers and what's impacting food processors, not just in dairy, but in other, other uh, in sectors of the industry as well. You know, we, our association works very closely with uh, you know, some of the beef and cattle and vegetable growers and the fruit growers and you name it. Um, and you know, I always like to make sure that our refrigerator does have an ample supply of milk, cheese, yogurt to, to support you know, our industry. Great. Uh, so, uh, you know, as, as coming from outside, I wonder, uh, so I think dairy is, is the industry you're working, but what are some of the byproducts, you know, in this industry? What are, what are the product lines, uh, you know, that your company manages? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we have your traditional uh, companies that take in raw milk from the farm and, and process it, bottle it, and put it right on the shelf. And, and you have, you know, you're just your standard milks. Uh, we also have companies out there that are, um, you know, taking in raw milk and they turn it into cheese or butter, yogurt, ice cream. Uh, and then we have, you know, some of the other uh, class products. So in, in dairy, there's four classes, uh, federal classes of, of milk products or dairy products, I should say. Class one being milk. Uh, class two would be anything you eat with a spoon, with ice cream and yogurt. Uh, class three is cheese. And then class four is kind of all your other products, which includes butter or uh, powder products. So um, you know, powder products has been one that's really uh, escalated over the last few years. You know, you see it being shipped a lot more. Um, it's, you know, the products that you see put in uh, the mac and cheese cups or uh, baby formula, things like that. Interesting. And you, you, you in terms of the market, uh, you know, the market, it's also all the United States or you also export uh, some of these products uh, abroad. Yeah, uh, we have members that, you know, they're a little mom and pop shop and, you know, serve ice cream or milk to, you know, really their local community, their their town, village, county, whatever. Um, and then we have, you know, multinational uh, companies that are part of our association as well. And uh, they, they're shipping um, dairy products to Canada, Mexico, uh, China, uh, Europe. You know, it's uh, it's really an international industry. And also in terms of, so that's export, and how about the import model? I mean, I'm sure some of these companies might, might also be importing some, you know, some essential raw materials, which, you know, for this industry, right? Is, is this yeah, that? So, so the raw material in dairy products would be raw milk, right? And Raw milk, yeah. So uh, that really doesn't get imported because uh, statistically, if you look, whether you're in you know, upstate New York, or you're in California, Wisconsin, Texas, anywhere in the United States, Canada, or, or the world, um, really the best way to uh, source your milk is to get it from as local as possible. A lot of our um, companies really source their milk from within 100 miles of, of a plant location. But there is imports that do come in from, from Canada, Mexico, from Europe, uh, just as we're importing or exporting uh, products as well. This brings us to a very interesting topic now about the supply chain. Uh, so when, when people talk about transparency in, in the supply chain, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so uh, the dairy supply chain is, it's really unique because, um, you know, a lot of people might just go to the grocery store, you know, after work because they're out of milk, they go in, they go to the dairy case, pick up their milk and they leave. Uh, but they really don't understand all the steps that happened before it got to the dairy case. and 
you know, it starts at, at the farm, obviously, from a cow or, you know, and other, other products, they have goat, goat products or other uh, mammals that it comes from. Um, but, you know, it starts at a farm, it then goes to a, a processing facility. From there, it either is processed into milk or can go to a manufacturing facility. Some of the manufacturing facilities process it there on site. Um, and then it could go to a distribution center from there, or it could go, you know, right to a retailer from there. So there's a lot of steps in between the dairy case and, and the cow of um, the supply chain in the dairy industry. Um, you know, and I'm not sure if we'll get into this later, but uh, the dairy industry saw a real uh, disturbance in the supply chain uh, back at the start of the pandemic, um, especially up here in the United States and in, um, in the Northeast in particular. You know, New York is one of the largest uh, dairy states in the nation within the top five. <clears throat> um, you know, there's, you, you could sign on to almost any local uh, news website or turn on the news and you'd see one, one article about how farmers are frustrated because they have to dump milk. And then you go to the dairy case in the grocery store with your mask on and there's, there's no milk in the, in the dairy case. So where was the disconnect? We have farmers dumping raw milk, but there's empty dairy cases in the grocery stores. So that was a very big supply chain issue that happened at the start of the pandemic. And luckily it got rectified within a couple of weeks um, with the assistance of uh, USDA, with the assistance of some of the state governments as well, and, and a little from, from just the uh, natural trend of the market. But, um, you know, really what happened was there was, everybody was shut down, starting working from home. All of a sudden, sales of dairy increased. Uh, everybody's uh, buying more cheese, yogurt, and milk to stock up at home because they're working from home now. One of those items on hand. Um, so processors started um, producing as much and manufacturing as much as they could. Uh, and then there was a backlog. Up, so they kept saying from the producers or the farmers, uh, to get as much milk as they could. And then all of a sudden processing facilities were at capacity. So now we have processing uh, at capacity, pumping out as much as they can, but farmers are, are still producing as much milk as they can. So that's where the, the, the issue really uh, came to head was between the processors and the producers was uh, where you saw the, the dumping of raw milk. I see it like a, a demand and supply thing. You know, sometimes there's a lot of demand, uh, but I think we, we, we may not have those checks and balances in place to understand basically what's happening. You know, uh, I mean, you know, in, in, in during this horizon, when we see, when we're going to see more demand or less demand. And based on that, you know, we kind of made our own adjustments, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's certainly something, um, in fact, our association yesterday had a call with um, the New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets and uh, the, uh, their economic development agency as well. Um, and that this was one of the issues that we, we discussed, uh, we hit on a little bit and we're gonna continue our conversations on, but uh, it's really an issue that we need to be prepared for, or at least more prepared for in the future should, hopefully we sh never have another pandemic, but should there ever be some sort of uh, disruption in the market that, um, not only are processors, but producers, retailers, and government agencies really prepared to handle this, this issue. Right. I mean, one of the issue in the supply chain, you know, mostly 
you know, that's been uh, noticed is uh, lack of visibility, you know, from, from, the, from the start to the end, you know, throughout the supply chain, you know. I mean, things kind of get in the, at the start and then we don't know, you know, throughout the chain. It's very basically very hard to track and, you know, find out exactly what it is. So that's one of the, one of the areas where um, you see there's always challenges. Do you see something like those, those challenges where, uh, you know, the companies kind of always complain that, you know, we don't have visibility uh, from the, the producers level, you know, uh, the, the farmers who have the cows and who are producing the, the raw milk to the consumer level, right? Uh, is, is there enough visibility, do you think, any innovation? Uh, are, we, are we having enough innovation in, in that area to kind of have more visibility on it? I think we're doing well in that, in that aspect. I think we could do better. Um, this has been an issue that's been going on for the last few years as well. Um, and in fact, um, food fraud is becoming a, a hot topic. And um, because just because a company puts something on a label doesn't necessarily mean it's true. And um, so, you know, I, I can speak for our members that, you know, they take the utmost responsibility and, and care for uh, their products to transparent as much as they can on such a small label and, as, and for what's required of them as well. Um, governments have, have been, you know, um, cracking down on what's needed and what needs to be displayed on labels. And, and, and that's been part of the trend you see too, is consumers are looking at saying, well, where is my food coming from? And, and luckily in dairy, I think we, we have a story to tell from dairy that it, it comes from your local farmer. It goes to a processing plant that's you know, within an hour away from the grocery store that you picked it up versus uh, you know, we'll call it you know, product X soda that could have been just you know, water plus whatever uh, flavoring and sugars and everything else that goes into making a soda. And it was made in Missouri or it was made in Colorado and then shipped shipped to, to Maine, it, that's not a story for me anyways. Um, you know, dairy has that nice story of you're, you're helping the local farmer, you know, by, by buying milk and, and producing or, um, you know, buying a, a dairy product. So, uh, but the transparency has really been a big issue. And in fact, uh, a few years ago, I was at a meeting where uh, they were discussing food fraud and I, I think it was olive oil is actually the, the number one um, food product out there right now that has the most food fraud associated with it. Um, I'd have to go back and look, or you know, you could certainly do some more research on that. But I'm pretty sure it was uh, olive oil. Um, but uh, with dairy, luckily, I think uh, we we have um, for the most part very li uh, limited amount of things that go into the dairy product. You know certainly cheese or uh, some of the yogurts, ice cream, things like that have more things that are added in to make the final product. But um, it, it all really goes back to making sure that, um, you know, companies, the, pro the processors, the manufacturers are doing their due diligence, uh, making sure that they're doing what they need to do to ensure that the, the products they're buying that are gonna go into the final product are coming from a reputable company, from a reputable source. Um, but, uh, and luckily we also here in the United States have a lot of uh, inspections and audits and government checks and balances that go into uh, ensuring that food is safe and healthy to, for, for our consumers.
Alex, now you may also have access to some of these uh, analytics, some of the data out there, you know, uh, about the consumers, right? Uh, you know, basically what consumers are looking for in some of these products, right? So what, what, what are some of the, you know, top, uh, you know, things that you see that, you know, that certainly needs like immediate attention, you know, that, that consumers are looking for? I mean, be it messaging of the product, be it the nutritional factors of the product or be, you know, any, any health related uh, aspect that the consumers want to see. So what are some of the things you wanted to highlight? Yeah, um, you know, certainly I think the nutritional aspect is, has been a hot topic. And uh, we've seen over the last few years um, how, how important nutrition is in, in everyone's diet. And I think that that's been an increasing uh, awareness campaign and, and um, you, you may look at the United States and say, well, you have a high obesity rate. And, but I think for the most part, a lot of Americans try to take better care of themselves and make sure that they're eating healthy and the right products and you know, not having McDonald's for, for dinner and Taco Bell for lunch and Burger King for breakfast. It's, you know, I think they try to have as healthy products as they can. And uh, certainly dairy provides a lot of uh, healthy and nutritious aspects that you need, calcium, vitamins every day, um, and, and that sort of thing. So uh, certainly nutrition has been a, a growing trend to make sure, and it's translated into a lot of the marketing campaigns and messaging from, from companies saying that, you know, drink your milk and, you know, have a yogurt or, you know, add cheese or uh, what have you to, to ensure that you're obtaining the, the uh, nutrients that your body needs. And uh, so, so that's really been a, a growing trend over the last few years as well. So do you have any interest or exposure to uh, emerging technologies? You know, I mean, what, what is the industry uh, looking into it? You know, how, how they see, you know, these emerging technologies. Uh, I mean, I don't want to na name any specific technology per se, but uh, you know, in terms of innovation, in terms of putting the right technology and kind of having a complete visibility, you know, end to end, how, how do they see this? And, are we doing enough at this point? Or, you know, you see that the changes, this is the time that change will start happening because of the pandemic and, you know, all the, the, the issues that we are seeing, be it like the labor shortage or be it, you know, the, the lack of trust maybe, you know, among the, among the consumers. So what do you see on that? And how is government seeing that? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because uh, the innovation that I think that has really been on the forefront for the dairy industry um, relates to labor. And you, you may not associate labor with technology, but um, the last maybe 10 years or so, uh, it's, it's been a challenge for the dairy industry to attract and retain qualified uh, employees. And you know, a lot of it has to do with, I think, a general, generational gap. Um, uh, I think there's also been the push over the last you know, 20 years or so that when you're in school, you, you graduate high school and you move on to college, you get your four-year degree and then you work your way to that white collar job. Um, and now we're seeing that these blue collar jobs are going unfilled and it's pr proving to be very difficult to sustain our economy uh, with, without some of these blue collar jobs. And um, we, that's been a, uh, very evident in, in the dairy industry itself. So, uh, you know, I think we're gonna be seeing 
if this labor shortage continues, which has only been um, really highlighted by the pandemic, that uh, we're going to see more automation. If if these jobs don't go unfilled, there's still the demand from the consumer that they want milk, they want cheese, they want yogurt. And so our companies need to still meet that demand. But if there's not the labor there to meet that demand, they're going to have to shift their, their operations to continue to meet that demand. And the only really way to do that is through automation. And we've seen that over the in the dairy industry over the last 50 years or so with uh, automatic fillers, with uh, assembly production lines, things like that. And you, you're, you've seen less and less uh, laborers on, on plant, plant floors. So uh, with the pandemic, especially that's been heightened, that our companies now in the dairy industry are really having a hard time finding uh, employees to work some of these shifts. And again, you know, the thing about the dairy industry, you and I are, when it hits five o'clock, we're going to turn off the lights and leave and go home for, for the night. In the dairy industry, that doesn't happen because just because the farmer turns the light off in the barn at night doesn't mean the, the cow st stops producing milk, right? It, it's That's a, a 365-day uh, uh, job. There's no weekends. There's no no holidays in the dairy industry, so they say. And uh, so our, our industry really needs to continue to meet the demands of the consumers. And we only, the only way we can do that and sustain the industry is by automation. So we're going to start seeing, I think, more and more uh, companies in the industry turn towards automation and uh, and those sorts of technologies that can help alleviate the labor shortage issue that they're seeing. You know what? One of the interesting uh, thing I keep hearing is that, you know, especially in the field of e-commerce or <clears throat> online, you know, buying. Uh, they say that there's a data that says that, you know, in the last two months or in the last couple of months, uh, there has been, you know, we, we made like a, you know, a big jump, you know, a massive jump into innovations, what we would have made in the last 10 years. So I think this, this pandemic in a way, uh, you know, gave us opportunity to look into things, you know, beyond few years and kind of having that visibility for the next like five, 10 years, right? So, I mean, in, in terms of in terms of the the dairy industry, I don't know in terms of uh, innovation and automation and uh, technological, uh, you know, innovation, how it was in the past, but now uh, do you see like, you know, it, it's more fast track now, you know, there's a lot of interest among the uh, in the industry to kind of certainly innovate and, you know, uh, make their processes more foolproof and, uh, you know, more like having visibility on each processes so that, you know, you know, we can kind of meet up the demand. So, yes. And, um, you know, a couple of things on that is that, you know, when you turn to automation, in a sense, uh, you remove that, uh, that human aspect of, of the production out of it. Uh, so when, you know, certain products require certain temperatures or certain amounts of, you know, different flavorings or different things that has to go in into the final product, um, really automation almost is perfect at, you know, uh, fulfilling those requirements versus humans, which may end up turning into errors or mistakes, things like that. Um, so I think that we are going to see more 
uh, trends towards automation because of just the human uh, aspect of it. And, and our, like I you know, said earlier, our industry, you know, used to really just focus on milk. And as time has gone on, we've broadened that scope larger and larger and larger to a more business environment and more uh, business attention. And really just because uh, we have a company that's processing milk and that that's, that's their business, at the end of the day, they're still a business and they still need to uh, meet bottom lines and they still need to cut costs and they still need to make a profit. And if that's the way that they're going to have to do it to make profits, that that's the way they're going to have to do it because that's what a capitalistic society lives in, right? And that's what their goal is, is to make money. Not to sound insensitive, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're still a business and uh, they have to make a business decision that's going to make the most sense for them. Are there any developments in your industry that you think are making an impact on the industry as a whole? Uh, it could be the, you know, the regulations or it could be any new innovation that's going on that, that potentially we see that there's going to be an impact in the next you know, like three to five years. Uh, you wanted to build up on that? Yeah, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of frame it as an analogy of you know, Ford versus Chevy, right? Uh, it's the kind of the dairy industry against sports drinks, it's the dairy industry against sodas, um, it's the dairy industry against other snacks and, and food, food items. And while it's a competitive in nature, we kind of also feed off of each other when uh, Ford comes out with a new model or a new technology in, in one of their vehicles, Chevy's not far behind to come up with something similar or something better or something different. And I think that that's very true in, in the food industry as well. Um, you know, a few years back, we saw the innovation of, uh, you know, coconut beverages and uh, uh, soy beverages and, um, you know, all the other juices that may label themselves as milk that are not milk and they don't come from a lactating mammal. Um, but so in, in response to that, the dairy industry then had to shift focus and say, how do we compete against those industries? How do we compete against those beverages? So that's when you kind of started seeing, well, we have lactose-free milk. We have all these other different uh, milks now that have different levels of proteins in them that may agree with your digestive system a little bit differently or a little bit better or things like that. So, um, you know, the non-fat milks or non-fat cheese, non-fat yogurts, Greek yogurt, different, you know, now we have yogurts with fruit in them. We have ice creams that have wine in them. We have ice cream that has liquor in them. Um, and in fact, in, in New York, uh, special legislation had to be passed in, in order for a company in New York to uh, produce and manufacture uh, wine ice cream. They, they wanted to make ice cream that had an infusion of wine in it, but at the time it it wasn't legal, it wasn't illegal to do, but it wasn't legal to do at the same sense. So our association brought this to the state legislature and they passed a bill and became law that allowed uh, ice cream to be made with wine and then not far behind became wine, uh, ice cream that had liquor in it and things like that. So um, those are so, some of the innovative and you know new um, creative, I say, responses that the dairy industry is, has come out with over the last few years. And I think that we're gonna to continue to see those. And then that's in response to 
uh, some of the other beverages that, um, or food or snack items that, you know, put their twist on something. And so we compete against each other, but we feed, feed off of each other in the same sense to really enhance everything that's going on in the grocery store. And I'm sure if you asked, you know, my grandfather, who was a dairy farmer, uh, you know, way back when, who's now in his late 80s, but if uh, you asked him, you know, 70 years ago, hey, hey, grandpa, have you ever heard of wine ice cream or have you ever heard of uh, lactose-free milk? And he's lactose-free milk, how does that happen? Or, you know, those things were never heard of before. And those are the, the creative uh, resolutions and, and creative takes that the dairy industry has really worked on over the last few years. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I, I have uh, I've lived in Europe for some time and uh, I have heard about the, 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 the wine candies, but I never heard about the wine ice cream. So that certainly is something new. Probably that might be there already, but uh, it's something I, I never came across. Yeah, uh, but that's, that's, I think, you know, yeah, it's interesting that based on the, the customer likes and, you know, the demand and uh, what the, you know, the consumer is interested in, you know, industry is kind of uh, trying out new things. So how, how, how does that work? You know, uh, whenever we try something new like this, uh, you know, in terms of getting the, the market feedback or the consumer feedback, uh, how's the feedback for some of these uh, new things that we try? Is it? Yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been really successful, you know, and, and in fact, uh, our member that's um, manufacturing the wine ice cream, it's really a, a small operation up in upstate New York, but uh, they're, they're doing really well from themselves. Um, so I think you'll, you may even see that translate into other companies starting to come out with some sort of ice cream that's along those lines. And we have other um, ice cream manufacturers as well that have come out and take their creative spin on things, whether it's associating something with a sports team or uh, a TV show or something in pop culture that's going on. Um, and, it, and it's all really just a way to attract the consumer, right? And uh, whether that's a new consumer or maintaining the current consumers you have or, or just building on, on, you know, getting new consumers as well that, um, you know, it's really exciting in the dairy industry that you never think of these things, but when, when you're working in the dairy industry every day, you start noticing these things more and more and really how those types of uh, trends and technologies that have come out really in, in the end benefit the consumers by providing more, more opportunities in the grocery store for us and um, really uh, you know, can either be great for your health or beneficial, um, provide just different options for your palate whatever the case may be, but in, and in, in turn, it's really helped maintain and, and help keep the, the, the dairy industry not only relevant, but successful and, and sustainable. Any new regulation or anything that's kind of pending or anything that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, <clears throat> you know, um, yeah, I can kind of maybe touch on a couple of things, but, um, you know, I think over the next few years, um, and, and what really, general consumers or even those that may be uh, associated with food processing in some capacity may not realize what happens in the dairy industry. Um, you know, one thing I always tell people is how, uh, in, if you're familiar with the United States government structure, there's an agency called ATF, it's Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms. And, you know, a lot of people consider that 
the most regulated industries in the United States. And, and I would consider milk and being right behind alcohol, tobacco, and firearms because the amount of government that's involved in, um, in, in the dairy industry is, is really unbelievable. And you'd be surprised at how, um, you know, some of our members have, how many inspections they have to go through monthly, quarterly, and yearly. On uh, how much engagement they have with inspectors and with government agencies, and um, they have to, you know, have milk, milk dealer licenses, and they have to have certifications and different things, and they have to meet all these other criteria that's set by the government. And you know, things like uh, the Farm Bill, which you know, <clears throat> uh, approved every five years in the United States, and those are those are all things that impact uh, the dairy industry. And then in turn impact consumers because you know things like if the farm bill is not passed or signed, uh, providing funding for uh, producers or allowing for certain um, you know innovation or you know other things that uh, processors are looking for, it may end up resulting in uh, increasing costs on pr processors, right? So what's that going to do? That actually leaves less room for uh, payments to go to producers, which in turn hurts the farmers. Uh, it may also increase prices of, of the products and in turn that hurts the consumers. And then that puts us at a disadvantage and a competitive disadvantage against all the other products because, well, you know, Coca-Cola or Gatorade, you know, all those products maintain their pricing, but they're not regulated like the dairy industry is. And uh, so now the price of milk has gone up, the price of cheese, yogurt, ice cream, butter, powder products, all those prices may have gone up. And now, now we're starting to see the dairy industry as a whole start to, start to have more difficulties, right? And it's just like a milk, if you've ever seen a milking stool, it's a very small stool that farmers used to you know, sit on while they were milking a cow. And there's usually three legs of a milking stool. And one represents the processor, one represents the producer, and one represents the retailer. And sometimes there's that fourth leg that you know represents the consumer. And uh, you really need all four of those legs to make a balanced stool. And you really need all four of those components to make a balanced uh, economy when it comes to the dairy industry. So uh, there's you know a lot that's going to be happening from you know, different pricing that goes on and how that's regulated throughout the United States. Uh, that's a very complicated and convoluted um, topic itself. Um, based, it's, you know, based on formulas out of Wisconsin and then the, your radius away from Wisconsin depends on which federal milk marketing order you fall in and then what the price of milk is that you can charge. And then there's certain federal milk orders that have minimum pricing. There's uh, certain milk orders that have maximum pricing that is that's the most um, you can sell a gallon of milk for so uh, and those are things that the, the general consumer doesn't understand or know about and it's and it's fine because you, they don't need to know but in in context that that's that's where the dairy industry comes from and that's where the, what the dairy industry has to go through in addition to making sure that their operations are all functioning properly so you get that end product, um, but you know we also have to deal with all the regulatory issues that are going on in the world. So um, 
you know, there's there's certainly a lot. And like I said at the start, you know, we're fighting against things like um, gasoline taxes. We're fighting things against um, uh, recycling content issues. Um, and, and it's not that we may be opposed to some of these things, but I think that we need to do it at a time where uh, our economy can sustain it and, and really be able to uh, in, in implement these things, not, not in the middle or towards the end of a pandemic when we're basically just getting back back to normalcy, sort of, maybe, hopefully. Uh, you know, every day is different still, but, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few years. Alex, one of the, one of the things I think uh, I forgot to ask was, and I think it just fell into the, through the cracks, was about the sustainability, you know, like packaging and all. I think that's one of the, you know, the really significant um, things to, uh, these days because of the, the, the plastic, you know, we're talking about plastic bands and we're talking about, uh, you know, recyclable packagings and all that. How, how the dating industry is looking at it and, you know, how, what sort of revolution you see into the packaging of uh, the dairy products? Yeah, uh, that's been a huge, huge topic over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, one thing I can say is that uh, the dairy industry really has been pro-sustainability, pro-recycling, pro-environment. Um, so our industry really has been uh, working with and trying to be on the forefront of these issues and, and uh, try to be and tries to be a leader on the, these issues as well. Um, you know, I think some of the challenges that either I discussed earlier that the industry is seeing is that um, maybe some of the, the timeframes that some of the governments may be placing on their states or locations, whatever, on some of these recycling topics or, you know, uh, constraints uh, may not be feasible with, with the dairy industry or, or some of our members. So that's where our challenges are. Um, but, you know, it's... A few months ago, I saw uh, Labatt Blue, one of the, the beer products in, in the United States, um, is now going to be packaging some of their six-pack cans with biodegradable plastic—not plastic, but biode biodegradable uh, wrap around them. So, um, and, and I found that fascinating. You know, had I not been in the food processing industry, I don't think I would have taken a second look at the article. But being in the food processing industry that I am. Uh, in my role, I, I found that really interesting that that's, that's where the, the food and beverage uh, industry as a whole, outside of dairy just as a whole, is, is heading. So I think that we will see more and more uh, innovative uh, technologies and solutions to uh, being more sustainable and more uh, friendly for the environment. Um, and more economically friendly as well for our members in, in the dairy industry as well. Um, so we'll, we'll start seeing more and more of that, I think, over the next few years, for sure. That's great, great. So I think, uh, Alex, we pretty much covered everything. Uh, anything you believe I might have not touched base, or I think you already done that, but uh, uh, anything you believe, want to do, you just want to put in the sound bite so that you know it would be valuable for the you for the. Uh, for our listeners, not, not not any real topics I can think of. You know, I just I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and thank you guys for having me. It's been a it's been a real pleasure to speak about these topics and the impacts that the dairy industry is facing uh, today and looking at tomorrow's challenges as well. And 
um, you know, I think we really need to come together, not only as the dairy industry, but an agriculture industry and as a food processing industry uh, to look at these obstacles or challenges and, and how we can overcome them um, and how we can move in further into the future and be sustainable and uh, friendly for the environment and uh, have the best business practices possible, as well as still producing and uh, processing the best uh, end products for, for the consumers. Yeah, I think for that matter, I think this, uh, this future forecast, uh, you know, podcast is really going to be very uh, valuable because certainly we are interviewing um, in industry experts and kind of getting their feedback, their thought process and their vision, uh, you know, for what's coming in the next few years. So I think, uh, you know, this is going to be really, really uh, very valuable for consumers also. And I think it's, it's, it's not going to maybe solve any purpose, but at least it will give us insight about, you know, what some of the things that we are dealing day to day. And uh, I hope it will, you know, solve some of the, some of the challenges that we are facing today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's certainly a lot of challenges that we face and um, you know uh, if some of them could be um, solved that all the better, but I think even just the exposure of some of these issues or challenges that the, the dairy industry is facing right now, I think um, can hopefully either trigger a couple of light bulbs on people or just make them realize some of the challenges that we're, we're facing and uh, understand where, where the industry is right now. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcasts. Future Foodcasts is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 